but I want to work with people and companies that has the same green impact idea. They want to do something for the world, but there's nothing wrong with making a profit. But if they're only after profit, then there might be other companies that they should focus on instead. This is The Interchange, Recharged. I'm David Van Miller. As we've talked about on the podcast, the energy transition is a machine with hundreds of moving parts. The problems we face in getting to net zero will be solved by a combination of technology, policy, and consumer action. When we're faced with a challenge, we often turn to technology first of all, and for good reason. As we've seen on the show, the clean tech sector is awash with technological marvels. We've looked at geothermal tech, smart metering, and innovative storage solutions. Today, we look at the power of waves and how harnessing that power can fill a crucial gap in the energy transition puzzle. I'm joined today by Jan Skoldhammer from Novi Ocean. Novi Ocean has developed a wave energy converter, which it says can deliver lower energy costs. Jan, welcome. Tell us a little bit about how the technology actually works. Well, it's quite simple. It's almost embarrassingly simple. It's basically consists of a large float. The first full size will be 38 times 8 meters, a height of about 4.5 meters. And to that one, there's a connection to a large cylinder sticking down with the piston rod end connected to the seafloor. And the cylinder is water-filled. When the float lifts in the wave, then we have a tube going up alongside the, the uh, cylinder, which also is water-filled. We have compression in the lower end of the cylinder, and water is pressed upwards the top of the, uh, of the power takeoff unit. And there is a water turbine, a Pelton turbine, which gets high-pressure water uh, at high speed, turning the turbine around. And there's a generator on the same axle. It's actually very simple. Said the other way around, we have taken the, the conventional hydropower plant, which is up in the mountains in most countries, turned it upside down. So it's the same water pressure, the same water flow. Instead of using, uh, for instance, then 500 meters of height difference from the uh, dam down to the turbine, we use 50 bars of pressure when lifting, which equals those 500 meters. So it's just the hydropower plant powered by the lifting forces of the wave. So three parts, a float, a cylinder, and a Pelton turbine. That's all. And how, how proven is the technology? We have tested it uh, in uh, our test rig at KTS University now for uh, several years. Also in uh, WaveTank in uh, the UK and in France. And offshore, uh, two instances uh, for a total of about five months. And the interesting thing is that the real test data from the offshore matches the simulation to the point in regards to the flow, the pressure, the hydraulic output, uh, everything. And those simulations show that the full scale will produce a gross power of one megawatt in four meter waves. And when you subtract losses, internal losses then, uh, and then also for irregular waves, you're coming down to at least 500 kilowatt uh, output. This is the first iteration of the full scale. We can go to two megawatt Plus, we're just starting at this size. It's a kind of a medium size uh, just to have experience and also to, you know, uh, it is easier with funding at this size than, than going to the full size first. And how does this compare uh, or complement offshore wind right now? It's hugely important now to look at what's happening going forward. Uh, for instance, Europe 
wants to 10 double the output from uh, wind power by 2050. And even today, we have large problems with the intermittency of uh, wind power and sun power. And this cannot be uh, balanced by batteries. It's just too large uh, stock of batteries needed for that. Uh, hydrogen might be coming in a bit later. It's still quite costly. So the best thing for renewable energy is to have direct energy to the grid when it's needed. And uh, of course, sun power comes at daytime and wind when it's blowing. But often, you know, half the month, the wind is down to about 20% perhaps of, of, of the max output rate of power. And in those instances, that's when we are buying the most of fossils for the highest price, 30 cents perhaps sometimes. It might be even higher coming winter. And the essence is that first comes the sun. The sun creates heat and the heat creates wind. And the wind over some time, over the Atlantic for instance, uh, creates waves. And the waves act like the nature's largest battery. So when the wind dissipates, the waves remain for days. And that's where we have the solution for the total renewable energy system. The combination of wind power, sun power, and wave power, also some tidal, because they are off-faced with each other. And that's what is needed right now to have a balancing effect on the grid. Uh, because when you increase the amount of uh, intermittent power, the problem will just be, uh, of course, uh, increasing even more all the time. So we think, and many, many of us, this is not just me saying it, this is proven basically that wave power will be a very important ingredient uh, going forward for the energy transition. And how does that, if you take the combination of all those things together, how does that improve the baseload? Uh, like you were talking about with the wind, it could get down to, to 10% of the required need. Um, how does the combination look going forward if you have all those together from a baseload standpoint? A very good question. Uh, baseload or wind power is, is often down to 10% for a quite many days per month. If you look at wave power, the base load would be down to 30% at the least, uh, very often down just to 40%. So by itself, it's much more stable than uh, wind power, for instance. But if you combine, this is the sugar, if you combine wind power and wave power and they're off-faced, then your base load is down to about 40 to 50%. And the amount of fossils or batteries or hydrogen needed is much, much smaller than if you run by wind power and sun power by itself. And that's really the clue going forward. So there's no doubt that wave power will be one of the huge uh, sources of green energy in the future. Uh, there's kind of a matter of just finding which solution will be the most cost-effective and, and have the lowest emissions per uh, megawatt hour. What about optimal spacing? And, and total sea space or sea area required for this technology. How do you see that moving forward? Well, all calculations which are kind of official show that the energy uh, per sea area by using wave power is about three times higher than using wind power. Now, large offshore uh, wind power units will be often one kilometer apart. But of course, in those areas where you can combine them, it's even better because you can have uh, uh, using the same cable, the same maintenance, etc., uh, or maintenance personnel. So in some instances, you can combine those two. 
But then again, wind power offshore are very tall, more than 200 meters high, and uh, no one wants to have them next to the, you know, the, the seaside. So they're often out to coast uh, 50 kilometers out there. Which of course, you know, increases both the capex and especially the opex of the whole uh, system. Wave power can be very close to shore, and and no one basically sees them because they are much smaller and uh, doesn't disturb any any animal life uh, at all. Actually, the opposite has been proven by by <laughs> mussels and stuff growing down there. So I would say that most likely you will see wave power from a distance of 500 meters to five kilometers offshore, depending on what what kind of depth you have in, the, in that location that would be the typical one and no one will be disturbed they will be out there and uh, and uh, producing power and people can just vaguely see them like a boat in the distance and how clustered can you get these units i mean let's say one square mile or so how many units can fit within that spacing we're doing right now uh, calculations with uh, the doctorand in, in in Chalmers University, and they're looking into how to combine the 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 array the best way. Uh, so it's a bit early to to say uh, how the best can be placed together. It depends if the wind is stable or changing as well. How to to lay them, but I would say like uh, 300 meters apart should be could be a you know, pretty good figure, I, I think, uh, in relation to that. Are, are there any optimal conditions that you look for for location? Uh, I mean, you mentioned four meter waves. I don't know if that's just a testing number, or are there any conditions or locations that are more prime than others? Definitely, um, if you look at charge or or you know wave energy potential around the globe, it's like this: the 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 winds uh, looking from the top of the world and the, the north goes anticlockwise around the the world. That's why the flight time from Stockholm to New York is longer than New York to Stockholm because you have tailwind going back. And this uh, constant uh, wind direction creates waves. So that means all the west coasts on the continents of the US or or on the American continent, on the European continent, and also on on New Zealand and Australia, for instance, and Indonesia, they have large waves coming in, stable swells coming in on all all those west coasts. So that's where you want to be. It can also be some other places on the East Coast, uh, for instance, of, of the US or Canada. You also have nice waves. Uh, but this mainly the West Coast is even better because it's more stable. And then comes back to the depth of, of, of the sea. It depends a bit on the, on the wave height. But in our case, we would like to be from 35 to 80 meters in the first iteration. We can go down to 200 meters later on, but we're starting on, on that depth uh, you don't want to be more shallow because you all see in surf waves and you don't want to be in the surf waves, not without the surfboard. And what restrictions do you see in terms of shipping lanes, fishing regions, things like that for the deployment? That's very important because you know, jump back a little bit with wind power and sun power, the land area is scarce. Perhaps not all, all, all the places in the US, but uh, but you know, around the coastlines it's 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 not too much uh, Free area, uh, like in 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 UK, it's, uh, it's it's difficult with that, for instance. And also now the sea area, there is a demand for more and more uh, offshore wind, of course, and also offshore uh, or floating offshore uh, solar, and they all require uh, sea space. So I think the winner in the future will be the ones that extract the most energy per sea area because there will be a higher and higher demand on that. 
because of course the the uh, the shipping traffic and the fishermen also wants to have the sea area. So of course it's possible to locate them in between, you know, where the shipping lines go. Uh, but then again, it's always important to get the most bang for the buck. That means the most energy per sea area. And that seems also where wave energy has, a, you know, one more advantage because there is it's possible to extract more per sea area than you can with wind. And especially with, with the solar, floating solar, I did some math on that or we did some math. We saw that if you look at the float area, the output from the wave energy converter is about 35 times higher than floating solar for the same use of, of, of float area. Of course, you have the anchoring in addition, but just for the float itself, 35 times more. So solar is kind of a, a very area intensive or, or demanding, uh, wave power is not. And what about enhancing the power production from, from these units by adding something on top of them, looking at them? I think you've, you've looked at potentially solar panels. Uh, on top to just get a little bit more bang for your buck. What do you think about that? Very interesting, actually, because we have done some calculations, and I was uh, just now participating in in a, in a large uh, summit in in Amsterdam on on floating solar. And what we see is that um, many floating solars are are uh, on on dams, uh, you know, inland, where the wind and waves are smaller, and that's fine. But the cost of the of the construction itself is is then often about thirty percent uh, of the total or thirty forty percent of the total, but if you go offshore, uh, they even have calculated themselves that the cost of the structure itself increases by fifty percent, meaning that if you want to go offshore with floating solar, uh, the cost for the structure would be around fifty percent of the total cost, and the PVs will be just about twenty five percent. The rest is then, you know, converters and and uh, different onboard systems and uh, installation, etc. But we have already this the float out there. It's large. The float itself is 250 square meters, a little bit more actually. Why not use that structure? Because that's 50% of the cost. We have already the anchoring. We have the float. We have the inverter on board, the sea area. And we can also extend uh, this uh, area on, on top of the float uh, out to each side covering about 750 square meters. And that will give us about a, a 120 kilowatt peak on the PV panels in addition. So we think that for offshore floating, uh, our system is, is very unique, is very cost-effective because, well, we have the structure. The other guys have to build a large, heavy structure just to carry that and to survive uh, the storms. So I think we have something to offer also in that direction. So we are looking to go deeper into that. And, and while we're talking about it, we are, we're open also for, for partnerships, uh, both in relation to the, to the development and later on uh, you know, global deployment of our wave power unit, but also on the solar side. Uh, we're not experts on that. So uh, why not talk to companies that, that are experts in, in, in offshore floating? It could be collaboration on that. It's kind of simple though, but but why not? We are open to a dialogue with, with many, many partners. How are those discussions going with potential partners? I mean, one thing that comes to mind is partnering with offshore drilling companies uh, to be able to provide at least some of the power via wave to the drilling activities. Is that one that uh, you guys have explored? Are there others that kind of are front of mind that make the most sense? 
Uh, good question. Uh, we haven't really, you know, pursued uh, or, or going out with the, you know, looking for money or, or looking for partners actively. We have actually have been coming to us uh, last month. We had one meeting with a, a large, one of Europe's largest shipping companies or shipyards, I mean, and they are very, you know, into the environmental aspects and, and are building, you know, ships going on batteries, etc. And then we had a, a meeting uh, with one large Norwegian uh, industrial company that works on the, in the offshore side, and also a Swedish uh, shipping company. So those are potential partners, uh, for instance, uh, because they have offshore experience, and they have the engineers, uh, and they want to have a new leg to stand on. Because as you know, though, the global uh, you know, business climate might be changing, and it might be going down perhaps on the construction of, of oil rigs, I would assume, over the coming years. And also shipping might be, you know, slowing down. But one thing is going upwards, and that is renewable in energy. So, uh, and it will be colossal uh, rise there. So I would think that any large global shipyard or in, you know, offshore industrial company or, or utility company would benefit from being early on, on the, with us in discussions because when this market takes off, we will have one or two large partners, uh, and that will be the one that's first on the table. The other ones will be coming too late. Uh, the train has left the station. And on your timeline, you're looking at what, around a 2025 commercial deployment? That would be the, for, for the first deployment of the large or the first full-size unit in the water. And that will be tested then for, for one year, most likely outside France, there's a test site there. By doing that, of course, you have a learning experience. Probably something breaks down, and you change it, and and you, you know modify it, and we find you the control system, and then you get the the first uh, uh, certification from Lloyd's or DNV saying that you can operate further on. And after that comes you know, normally the pre-commercial array. You put into the water two to six units at in could be the same location, but most likely a new location, which is then let's say half commercial, and do that for a couple of years and have the final you know, uh, certificates, and then you're fully commercial. It's a bit of a, of a timeline. But then again, I was thinking, you know, the Chinese, they had the COVID coming. They built a large hospital there for you know, thousands of people in three weeks. And that was done by manpower and money. And as far as I can see right now, the asphalt is melting in India. We have floods in, in Europe and drought in uh, Hellas or, or Greek. And also in the U.S., there's such a huge problem now with climate change is going faster and faster. So if someone to listen to this wants to go faster by perhaps coming in with capital or a partnership, uh, we're ready to go faster. But with the grants we have now, we have grants of about 2.5 million. Uh, we might have some more coming in. Uh, that needs to be matched 50%. It, it's fine. It will be you know, making it that way as well. But it can go much faster if someone wants to really come in there and say, let's do this thing. And uh, then one might ask that there have been so many wave private devices out there and many have failed. Many, many haven't succeeded. The cost is too high, etc. I think it's too high, too, too difficult in, in, in this program on the podcast to explain exactly what has been the differences. But I can assure that there are huge differences in what we do and what others have done, I can go into it quickly, but, but we can definitely explain why our system is extremely unique and has 
you know, vastly different numbers from anyone else out there. It's a tough uh, thing to say, but there was a reason why I can say that. Uh, so if we agree that wave power is needed for the climate change, is needed to balance the grids, then it's just a question uh, of, of finding the right solution. So contact me and I'll explain much more. And, and so far, no one has been able to state that we are wrong. No one. Have you been reaching out to any potential investors? I mean, we, we had a, a private equity company on just the last episode, the one before that, that's it's looking for companies early stage to help finance that are going to make a big environmental impact going forward. Have you, have you been talking to potential investors? Have any approached you? We have been approached by, by a few. Um, we have been kind of choosing so far to, bit, uh, to not spend too much time on that uh, until now uh, because we have we had the grants coming up first. Uh, and so we have, have a runway of about 18 months, uh, something like that. But uh, well, there might be a new grant coming in which requires the opposite <laughs> Uh, funding that you first use the money and afterwards you use the grant money. Well, we'll see on that one. It's called Interreg. But we are, let's say now we are more motivated to uh, to uh, talk to investors. Tricky thing is there's, you know, there's thousands of there, thousands and thousands of investors out there, venture caps, and they're all green as far as I can see. Or at least they, <laughs> that's the, you know, of course the image they, they want to have. So the trick is then to spend time with the most relevant ones and not spend time with the ones that have pocket money or wanting to you know look for the 50x uh, you know all the time the ones that really want to work to save the climate to do something important for the children and uh, for the families and for the for the uh, world itself they're most welcome to contact me but then we want to have let's say uh, bids which are reasonable when it comes to evaluation and uh, we want to have people that can uh, want to go fast and not be nitty-picky with, with, the, with the small dollars. Uh, we want to, you know, do something for the climate. That's why I do this is, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, past middle age, I may say. So, so it doesn't matter that much anymore. Uh, I'm doing a 60% for the climate, 20% because I think the project is, is fun, 20% because it's fun also to, you know, make a profit finally on, on the whole thing. But I want to work with people and companies that has the same green impact idea. They want to do something for the world, but there's nothing wrong with making a profit. But if they're only after profit, then there might be other companies that they should focus on instead. Well, I mean, the good news is there's no there's no real shortage of of funds coming into the sector uh, in, in the space of making an environmental impact. I mean, the, you know, Azola Ventures that we had on before was is a firm that really wants to make that environmental impact and has patient money and it, it's one of the things you, you'll have access to the capital. It's just finding that right partner uh, to continue to grow and expand uh, and help out the environment. Correctly. So, so we're thinking it could be a combination of, of, of you know, you know, industrial partnership and venture cap. It could be only venture cap and our, ourself, and it can be only partnership. It depends. But we do, of course, need some more capital since we have fifty percent funded by the grants we have received or or being being uh, you know awarded. So we need some capital uh, uh, going forward. Let me say also that that was for the first pilot, but I was contacted by European Investment Bank a little while ago back. They called me up and say, it's kind of nice. Say, Jan, now we, we are, I'm your personal contact in European Investment Bank. We want to, uh, or we've been following you for the last years. We like what you're doing. We would like to fund you 
uh, with the next project, the pre-commercial array, with 50% with loans or warrants, uh, and no security asked, zero. Of course, you have to you know, go through the process. But this means that uh, there are, are money available, and that was budget from, from uh, 15 to 75 million euros on that uh, line. And then that can, can also be combined with 25% grants. And then you have the export credit committee in Sweden, for instance, that you know, can help the customer uh, with the finance as well for loans, for instance, guarantee loans. So this setup is kind of laying ready also for the next round, uh, you know, after the first pilot, the two to six units. The, the finance side is, is, of course, there's no contract, but the setup is there. So if someone wants to participate in, in the first rounds and, and just get going and, and, and get the, the first pilot in the water as quickly as possible, uh, then uh, very much the ground is there for the next uh, steps. What about from a, a CapEx and an ongoing OpEx standpoint? I mean, obviously, there'll be economies of scale as, as you continue down the path with, with more units and, and learning alongside it. But right now, I mean, what, what's the CapEx associated with, with one of these units? Of course, the first one will, will be costing something like $5 million with the, the whole development, design, etc. Uh, but then we will be very closely coming down to about uh, $2 million per, per unit. And then, then lower. Uh, I guess also you're looking for um, for the LZOE and our. Well, we have a quite an advanced technical model, which is based on on third party uh, Wayback in Portugal that made the first simulations for us for about seventy five k seventy five k. And uh, those show that for the first three megawatt array, that means six units, we will have a, a LZOE of uh, below one sixty. And for the next units after that, uh, next five megawatt array, the cost should be below 125. And the good thing, actually today, there came, came some good news from the UK. They uh, have a, a system uh, of feed-in tariffs, and uh, they have now, uh, you know, they have kind of an, an auction for uh, wind power onshore and solar onshore and wind power offshore. But now they added a tidal power and three companies sign off contract with the placing title outside of, of the UK, and uh, then translated to to dollars, uh, the the uh, LCO can be two hundred twenty dollars per megawatt hour. So that's uh, you know twenty two cents if you like per kilowatt hour. So this is then and and then wind power onshore and offshore is about you know uh, five cents. So it's about uh, four times higher. The subsidy is four times higher than tidal power than it is for for the other ones right now, and wave power is slightly behind in in the in the development and uh, as opposed to to tidal. So we expect that uh, when time comes for uh, feed and tariffs, also for European side, wave power will at least have the same of of two twenty per megawatt hour. And as I mentioned earlier on, we expect about to have about 160 for the first uh, uh, three megawatt. Uh, that's well, 120 to 160, and later on um, below 125. That means even if we are 100% wrong on our cost, the subsidies will make us go with you know break even at least. So, and the odds are that that our our costs. <laughs> Estimations are 100% wrong is is very slim. 
This means that we can go with profit, most likely from the first area out there, the first area after the first pilot, the first pre-commercial area should be going with profit. And then later on, if you get paid 220 or better, and you have a cost of perhaps 110, well, you don't know what's going to happen to the profit side. Uh, on that bid that you talk about, the, the three companies, three or four companies that, uh, that were selected, what, how much generation capacity is that for? One of the companies were Orbital, for instance. I think their unit is a, the one I have right now, I think is around a two megawatt unit. Uh, and, and the other ones are smaller, but they're talking about arrays, of course. But these are, this is, I think there was a total was like 40 megawatt. I think the, the, the bid was for those three companies uh, for that contract. Uh, so it's not, not the big one, but it's, it's, it's a beginning. And let me add also that the um, European Commission has decided to see 40 gigawatt of ocean energy in the water by 2050. And they will, of course, use then subsidies uh, from their sides, uh, or funding is a nicer word, perhaps, from their side, and also with the countries that have in, having them deployed. And that's a large number. It's about hard to grasp, but that means that if we take just 10% of that market, it means 8,000 of our small units, 8,000 over the coming 25 years. And uh, the, the, the revenue from those will be about 12 billion euros. And this, that's just, just 10%. It could be much more. And the global market is much, much bigger. So we're not talking pocket money here. We're talking big, big, uh, uh, you know, uh, let's say, industrial production and layout. And, and then if we can both make a profit, and help the climate at the same time, what can be better? It's actually the best you know, combination you can have and it's the most fun and the most meaningful for any company. Working with us, for instance, then, and you have your, can also have your, your uh, VIPs, politicians coming on board our unit. It's a bit difficult on the round little small boy, but on ours it's large. Take along your, your uh, politicians, your friends, uh, your VIPs, your investors, uh, and media. And that coverage you will have being on board our unit will be worth 10 times more than any marketing campaign you can ever buy. Because you're showing them that you're green, that you're doing something, you know, trying something new. Instead of sitting on the fence uh, waiting for others to do their job, you're doing it yourself. Your company is doing it. And that media attention is impossible to buy by, uh, by having you know, ad campaigns or doing the same as anyone else. You can invest, of course, in offshore floating wind. Big deal. So many does it. But how many dares to uh, put money up on, on, a, on a new concept like a wave power? Those that do that and those that su succeed will be proud forever. And also the kids will be proud forever. Plus also the media will love them. So, well, I'm just arguing for why people should perhaps think seriously about you know, doing something more than just waiting for others to do the job. And I know a lot of this depends on potential partnerships, JVs, uh, financing partners. But how do you see the revenue model for Novi Ocean going forward? We had three common revenue models, uh, and uh, uh, let me order start in the in the order which I think will be the most important one is licensing. Uh, that's number one model, and that is because our unit is very simple. It's just a large float, large cylinder, pattern turbine generator. Um, and some anchoring, it's, uh, it's, it's very simple. So we think that, uh, you know, shipyards, 
industrial companies in, in many countries can build at least 50% of this, perhaps even more, depending how advanced they are. And then we can supply the kind of the plugin, the, the more advanced the software and, and perhaps the, the generator and the control system and, and, and everything there and the pulse turbine perhaps, depending on what they want. But in this way, that's important because uh, of course there will be less transport, better for the climate. It enhances the local, uh, uh, let's say, knowledge into uh, wave power, ocean energy, and its employment figures, of course, increases, and it's good for anyone. Later on, they will also be having them responsible to maintain the systems. Uh, so we think licensing is very easy. We'll perhaps charge, uh, you know, 100k per unit plus something for the for the follow-up monitoring and, and etc and uh, and uh, you know maintenance both tents etc and that was the first model the number two will be partnering large companies could be like say Irving in Nova Scotia for instance large shipyards up, up, up there or, or in the US can be you know coming in with us with partnering and 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 uh, you know perhaps taking they can take Canada someone else can take uh, you know rest of North America for instance like a partner deal or it could be a large utility company. Uh, and then finally, some own production. But you remember like Vestas, they've been growing now for 40 years with wind turbines, it took 40 years to do that. We don't have time to do this over 40 years. We can probably make 50 ourselves per year, but it won't make a big, a big, big difference. But if we have, you know, licensing and partners all, all around the world, you know, perhaps 10, 20 of those, we can make a thousand per year. And that makes a difference. That's the way we see it. But it will start the opposite way. We'll probably start with own production and then partnering and then licensing. I think they will be going the other way around. Aside from the financing, potential partnerships, what do you think is necessary to help Novi Ocean uh, grow and expand this technology for broader adoption, whether it be a policy standpoint or? Well, first is just uh, numbers. When we're out in the water and, 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 and we're showing the performance and uh, the cost figures, and we show that we will make a profit. Of course, then the uh, and if we are holding our numbers, the growth will be exponential. Because uh, said before, what can be better than to make a profit on producing stable energy, not needing storage? So, so that's one thing that has to be will be done. But as we said also in the beginning, that our numbers are basically already verified. There is no doubt we will give the we produce those 500 kilowatt in four meter waves, for instance. Of course, the average will be 250, by the way, uh, because the waves are smaller and larger. On the policy side, it was what's happened today then from the UK. They came up with subsidies of uh, 220 per megawatt hour. And uh, European Union is, is now coming up afterwards, I think, uh, with something similar. And Canada has, I think, about, about 450 or 4, 4 to 450 for Tidal as well in the US dollar. I think it's 530, I think it was in Canadian dollars per megawatt hour for Tidal. So this kind of subsidies is important to get going. Let me remind that wind power, at least in Europe, had uh, you know higher subsidies than that for many, many years. And of course, that has paid off. Now we have wind power all the way around, thanks to this support. So that's, that's, that's important. And then also the what's necessary is um, that the um, consenting period is short because sometimes you have to wait three years to you know you try to you know lease and see area, and it's a long and, and difficult process to you know be allowed to deployed. I think we have to look into how to get this process you know done quicker so that we can you know 
make a contract with someone and, and get going. If it takes too long, uh, it's also costly and it isn't, it's not beneficial for the climate change. So that's what I can see, you know, in, in, in the short term, mostly. Well, I really appreciate the, the discussion. I, I find it fascinating because I've, I've said a number of times on this podcast that the energy transition is going to require a number of different technologies. And so, you know, seeing how the wave power combines with solar and wind already out there, I, I think it's just a really nice story. And I, I look forward to seeing how Novi Ocean continues the path forward to the first commercial deployments and the testing. And, and I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. And, and if I might add something on, on the hybrid side there, uh, of course, we have a large float. And, uh, you know, we have peak hours in the morning hours and the afternoon hours on, on, on the grids, for instance. We plan to, you know, have customer options. Both the PV will be customer op- options, plus then we can have battery storage on board, especially for, for smaller, uh, you know, islands and smaller locations. They perhaps don't want to, you know, have it all on shore. So we can have a complete unit then serving those locations. And later on also, we, we, we plan to look into hydrogen production on board because we, we have the flow to structure already. So it's, a, it's a, well, for, I know California also wants to have hydrogen, same as Japan, for instance, uh, and, and they have the, the ocean out there. So we plan to offer a, a, a quattro hybrid, depending then on, on what the customer uh, wants and needs, but it's 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 really a huge possibility for for the ones uh, wanting to see the climate change uh, going going green as fast as possible. And that's great, and I, I really do look forward to seeing the progress uh, that you guys make. And again, thanks for thanks for your time and coming on the show. Thank you for having me, David. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and, and I hope also the listeners uh, learned a few things about uh, wave power and the potential, and uh, then you know what they will see on the coastline in the, in, in the coming decades uh, and uh, maybe come and see us on board. Great. Thank you.